Good morning, VCF. Uh, I welcome you to this, to our church and this live stream on this weekend. I would like to pray with you as we uh, look to the Lord. I believe that God has a word for every single one who's here or here uh, virtually. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that we are not dealing with ideas or thoughts or words alone, but we are dealing with the living God who is right now before us. We, in some ways, tremble at your presence because of the fact that you are real, more real than all the things around us. And so we ask you that even now that you would uh, touch us and speak to us. We thank you, Lord, for this weekend which we celebrate uh, the life of Martin Luther King. We thank you for his courage. And we ask you, Lord, that with courage which must have, could have only come from you, be imparted to us in a miraculous, supernatural way. That you, we as a company of your people will receive the spirit of what you did in those momentous days and in the life of this man. And so we ask you, Lord, even now, that your hand be upon us as a church, that you will cause us to live faithfully and courageously as we set our heart towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, and we will read it from verse uh, 20. Verse 20. Uh, in some ways, uh, this series of uh, messages that I propose to embark on are a series that are a result of some contemplation that I have been having, praying before the Lord and asking the Lord some, uh, perhaps some very basic, some foundational questions regarding His church in uh, America and BCF. And I asked the question in terms of these days that we are living in. And my question is sort of, why is the church of Jesus Christ not as Christ-like, not as solidly divine and heavenly, not as solidly a light to shine, in darkness, in this incoming darkness, as it should be. I don't ask this question, this question in a negative way. I ask this question uh, in a way that is asked of a child who knows that his father has so much more and wants to know why, where or where that more is. And so turn with me to um, um, John chapter 12, verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Yeah. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life 
will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for life, for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will also be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. It's very interesting that the word that's used for seeing uh, that the, the Greeks were using was a quite intensive word. They did not fully understand what Jesus was saying, uh, or rather they had the, did not fully have the same understanding of seeing that Jesus was, uh, uh, was uh, envisioning. But they knew they wanted something more. They wanted to see something more. They wanted Jesus revealed in some ways. And so Jesus turns the conversation. He, he makes use of the opportunity to speak about a certain kind of revelation, revelatory seeing that had to do with Jesus in his glory. He says that uh, unless a wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. Yeah, and unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it, it, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And I believe that Jesus was speaking about something that had to do with the, a revelation of himself. A revelation that was more than just information or data or the information that comes from study, studying. But it's the knowledge that comes from Jesus revealing himself, his glory, so that we could see him not just as Jesus of Nazareth, the kind of the human Jesus, the Jesus that the eyes could perceive, but the Jesus that could only be perceived in the spirit, but a perception that would cause miracles to happen. It would cause that grain of wheat to produce much fruit. fruit. A certain fruitfulness that comes with that revelation. And I believe that Jesus was speaking to the, to, to the Greeks indirectly about something more that he had for them. And I, I, I believe that this is something that God wants to show us. He wants to cause us to experience a revelation of him. And the question for us is this, how can we see him in that way? How can we see him in such a way that our life does not become just the accumulation of data, doesn't become just the accumulation of inf information that forms our minds, but a, but a breakthrough into the spiritual realm in which he is disclosed to us in such a way that we see not just um, things that are earthly, but the things that are divine. And I believe that this is something that, that, that uh, is uh, important to us. Uh, for the past few months, I've been contemplating quite a bit about the church, as I said. And uh, I, I wonder whether it, what, what I've been thinking about actually is something that you also have been thinking about. And I'll put it this way. Um, I have found that over the period of over 30 years in ministry, I tend to experience or come, come across people that, have, uh, that I have ministered to and lived with, among over, over years that are basically of two kinds. And then there's a third uh, kind of kind that I'm talk about, I'll talk about later. Uh, the first kind is those who, the moment they somehow get a revelation of Christ, their life, even when they are spiritually very, very young, very, very raw, seems to open up 
tremendous insights, not, and more than just clever insights, the insights of God. God seems to speak to them. It seems as if the, the wall of separation between the natural world for them, the world of circumstances and the world of their own psychology, and the, the, the realm of heaven seems to have just opened up. And I find that a lot of times it's people who are not necessarily educated, not necessarily that, that smart, but they're just people who somehow have experienced this thing that's happened in the heart in which their heart opened and God disclosed things to them. These are people that I, I, can, I can remember very, very vividly uh, everywhere I've been, including VCF, in which somehow they not only got excited about God, but then somehow they got a sort of an insight, an, an, an inward relational an in to the God who loves them. They, they have no problem believing that God loves them. It's almost as if God touched their heart. It's almost as if their seeing of Jesus is not informational. It is as if he made contact with them. All the things that they know about Jesus seem to be not just something that's read in books or, 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 or heard in sermons. It's as if the seeing was accompanied by a touch a connecting that God did to them. They can't speak about God without speaking about it personally, about how God touched them and changed them and opened things up. I find that these ones seem to be, their lives seem to be characterized by people just coming to the Lord through them. There's something about what they've seen that makes them have that revelation of Christ in them that other people can see. Then there are these other, there's another group of people who somehow, they just don't seem to experience the reality of God. They have been perhaps even faithful. They have been around in church for a very long time. Um, they, they become leaders in the church. But they have not much to speak about. And everything, they don't have much to speak about regarding what God has done in their lives. They are... They are Experience of God is more in the realm of the heady, the, the heady realms, or the realms of knowledge, the realms of uh, information. But it doesn't seem as if their, 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 their faith is a warm-hearted faith in which their heart has been touched by God or held by God. And as these people become... Uh, older Christians or more mature Christians, so to speak, the, there is a certain, um, a certain externality about it, a certain sort of third-personness when they describe uh, the things of God. Then there's this third group of people, and it's very interesting, and these are, this group of people begin as people who have, been, have experienced God, and sometimes... In patches, they experience God's personal uh, revelation to them. That suddenly, revelation not only opens their eyes, but just opens their heart and frees them up in such a way that revelation causes things to flow in a divine way. Special things happen. Um, people come to the Lord. Somehow when they pray for people, things happen. God seems to be all around them. And then it's patchy. And then after a while, it sort of comes to an end. And the Galatian church was one such church who began in the spirit and ended up, Paul says, in the flesh. 
And there's this third category of, uh, of Christians that I also want to speak to, and perhaps the majority of Christians that we, can have, we, ha- we have today are of that third category. I want to talk about that. Anyway, I want to, I want to say that there's, there's something about uh, what Jesus is speaking about here in, jo- uh, in John chapter 12 that really has to do with the fact that revelation of Jesus has to do with that death, a death. Revelation to Jesus has less to do with being smart, or I would say nothing to do with being smart. It has nothing to do with the available information or available insights. It has to do with something that seems totally unrelated to seeing. And it has to do with dying. And what Jesus does is that he gives an answer which seems to be a total non-secretor. Sir, we would, we would see Jesus. We would love to see Jesus. We would like to see Jesus. And Jesus' answer is this. Most assuredly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What Jesus was saying is this. Within the seed, within the structure, the shell of our own earthly existence, our own flesh, there is no capability, there is no capacity to see Jesus at all. Okay? There is no capacity for revelation. We do not, in our, in our minds or in our flesh or in our perception, no matter how good that may be, do not have that capacity. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, the, that seed, that shell of a seed, remains nothing but a shriveled old little seed that no matter how much potential that seed has, unless it goes into the ground and breaks open, it will remain just a seed. And I find that this may be true of several people that perhaps you may know, in which they have talked about dreams, they've talked about destiny, they've talked about calling, they've talked about prophecies, they've talked about all these things. But all these things that are in seed form never seem to lead the seed, never seem to develop into anything really significant. And I want to put it to you that actually there is something about this analogy or this metaphor that Jesus is using that actually is supposed to speak to us. And, I'm, and I feel that there is something that God wants to speak to us to set us free from the shell, the casing of our own self-preservation or our own seed preservation. Right, and so um, I want to I want to say something a little bit about, about that. Um, I think um, many people uh, remain in the seed, or their potential remains in the seed and in seed seed form. And as you know, seeds don't amount to very much. Um, uh, many people talk about uh, their their potential, or, or or people talk about people's potential. But that potential remains completely unrealized. And, uh, you know, I feel that what God can do as we uh, just open up the word today is to actually break open shells today. Shells that may be encasing your life and keeping you remaining in the mental or in the human, in the fleshly realm. And I just want to pray a little prayer right now because I'm quite aware that unless the Holy Spirit does this work, 
we will still be contemplating this whole message in our minds and in the flesh. So we ask you, Lord, that you will come and do a, a mighty work. You know who we are. We pray for especially those who long for a vision of Jesus. Not just an impression, but a vision that transforms. We pray for those who long for a deeper revelation that causes them to, causes them to walk in a certain confidence and a certain courage that they don't seem to be able to find. We pray for especially those who are bound up by fear and have not really broken in much to the wonderful things that you speak about in your, in your, in your word. We also pray for those who somehow have begun in the spirit but have uh, ended up in the flesh and the, the complete ambit of your spiritual life remains natural. They can't distinguish their experiences from anything that is just totally naturalistic. They can't find you. They don't see you happening in their lives. Everything that they've experienced of religion has been easily explainable in naturalistic terms. We ask you that you break open that seed too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to encourage you as we are looking at this that God may be pressing upon you and me about this seed. Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Death. Death is basically the work that the cross brings about in our lives. Yeah? The cross brings it about in our lives. I want to share with you something about myself as well. Um, I grew up in a Christian family. I had very, very godly parents. They set a very good example of godliness and integrity. Uh, we were Plymouth brethren, but for some reason, I could not experience the reality of God. I always believed that God could work, work in people's lives, but he seemed to always pass me over. And uh, I've said this to the church many times, I felt like, J like Jacob, I was specially chosen not to be chosen. If the Holy Spirit was moving in the room, when I came into the room, he would go to the other side of the room. It would, it would be almost as if um, the whole Holy Spirit had had a, had a picked me out for not for not being touched, to not be touched, you know. And uh, I could not understand why it is it was that other people seemed to get answers to prayer, but I could never seem to have an answer to prayer. When I came to the age of about twenty, I was in college. I began to be very very frustrated, and not only frustrated, cynical about all this. The only thing that could not, the thing that could not, um, sh I could not shake off, the thing that prevented me from being completely dismissive of Christianity was that 
I had seen how God moved transformingly and miraculously and, and significantly in other people's lives. I've heard stories about missionaries who had experienced um, uh, wonderful things. Um, I remember sitting with my family, my extended family, of very, very godly, godly uncles and aunts I had and, uh, in, in uh, my grandmother's house. And, he, and one of my, my uncles would tell stories about uh, a missionary into China, Jeffrey Bull. And he was saying, uh, he was saying how Jeffrey Bull was, uh, was uh, captured by the communists um, and uh, sentenced to death. And how God came to him like the angel came to Peter in prison and transported him out over the gates of Beijing and out into freedom. I mean, stories like that, I, I grew up with these stories. I could not deny the fact that God was real. In fact, I saw God moving even in my own re- relatives' lives. My amazing things. The only problem was this. I could not sense God speaking to me. I could not see anything for personally uh, of God in my life. And I realized that um, I grew up with a certain sense of inferiority, a sense of not chosenness. I felt, as I said, I'd been specially chosen not to be chosen. When we went to England, um, there was a whole different experience. We spent six years in England, uh, two, two trips of, 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 uh, of three years each. And the second trip that we went to England, I was a, a, a teenager, maybe 12, 13 years old, 14. And one of the things that I experienced in England was the fact that as an Asian person and Chinese, I was one of the few that was there. And I grew up every day being teased for my ethnicity. I grew up always dreading to go to school, just dreading to walk down to the bus station because along the way, there will always be people who make fun of me, who would, uh, who would uh, tease me for my, for, for my, my uh, so-called chinkiness. And uh, when we went to school, uh, uh, when we went to shops and all that, I could see the way in which we were just treated quite uh, with disdain. And when I went to, went to school, I, grew, I, I, I kind of uh, got used to living in such a way that I would kind of try not to be noticed at all. And I remember one time when, uh, in my school where another person, a new person, came to jo- join the school, and he was Chinese. And now there were two Chinese uh, boys in this school. And, uh, and I remember my reaction to seeing this, this other guy. When I saw him, I wanted to get as far away from him as possible. Because the association, just seeing a mirror image of someone who looked like me, who was Chinese, made me feel terrible. I didn't fully understand all that. But there was a way in which I had begun, I began to realize that I would try to do everything I could to not, uh, to not be Chinese. I, I, if I could dye my hair, like many people do nowadays, or kind of have, have, have plastic surgery, I would do it. I used to wonder why God chose me to be Chinese in a place that I was living in England. And I remember feeling that way and feeling for sure that as far as who I was in terms of my own, my own sense of value, my own sense of self, I was definitely second class. When we went back to, to Malaysia, um, 
the Chinese were at that time in the 70s uh, considered second-class citizens as well. The Malays, the, the Bumiputras, so-called, so were considered the, the, upper, the, 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 the real sons of the soil, whereas uh, the Chinese were considered what you call pandata, that means those who came, those who came, those who are, who are, who are immigrants. And so, again, I, con- I, I, I unconsciously developed this sense of second-classness Always. Now, I realize that there is something about that that clings to you. No matter how much people can tell you that there are values that are opposite to that, there is something in the soul that causes this spirit to be uh, inside. And I realize that I couldn't get rid of it. I couldn't get rid of it. I could be in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a place in which everybody looked like me, and I still could not help feeling that um, Jesus was far away from me. I could not see Jesus. I could not see Jesus in such a way that it threw light on, on myself, in such a way that I would be cha- transformed. And it was in this place that I realized that I had developed ways of self-preservation, of preserving of my own life, my own um, safety, that were unhealthy, unhealthy to me as well as to the other people around me. Uh, ways in which I would avoid who I was. Ways in which I would um, uh, make, make excuses for who I was. Ways in which I would try to stay under the radar and I had developed uh, within myself a certain stammering, stammering kind of way in which in front of people I would be extremely nervous. Of, uh, even in talking with people, just a extreme nervousness uh, would, would, uh, would be upon me. I'm told here in, in John chapter 16 that unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies it will bring, bring forth much grain. And I remember it was on this time when I was going to university and uh, I was in my second year. Uh, no, it was my first year, yeah, my first year, my freshman year in university that all this stuff, all this sense of uh, self-loathing came to a head. It all came crashing down on me. And I realized that unless something took place, I would grow up to be a very, very nervous person, a very, very uh, self-negating person. And I, and I began to be quite concerned. And I realized during, just before the uh, final exams that these words were the most hopeful words I could have ever found. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. If it dies, it produces much grain. And I realized that whatever potential I had, potential that I personally certainly couldn't see, would not be, um, it would not come forth at all unless I died. I realized then that I knew, and I knew that I, Michael had to die. Michael and all his identity, all the accumulated identity from his past, from his, who, his ethnicity, from his uh, performance or non-performance or his failures, his whatever, 
had to die. Unless Michael died, Michael could not enter into any kind of perception of God because the flesh cannot perceive God. I realized somehow that me in and of myself could not apprehend God. I could not. There's nothing in me that could. And so I realized that as, as, as I saw this, that no matter how much potential there would be in the seed, unless the seed breaks and it dies, it comes to an end of itself, um, the seed will remain a seed. Can you imagine living for the rest of your life, 63 years, as a walking little seed, talking about all the potential, but nothing, nothing coming out, nothing coming out? And I, and I realized that God had to bring me to an end of myself. It was in this place that I, it was not difficult for me to say, God, take my life. Take my life because there's nothing left there. There's nothing worth preserving. And I, 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 I suppose that for many people, it's hard for them to come to that point because the thing that we want to do in the flesh is to constantly preserve the seed of our own little existence because we're afraid of what will happen. And what Jesus was challenging these people to do was that in order for, that, for them to come into the whole new dimension of spiritual abundance and spiritual treasure, you have to give the little that you want to cling on to back to God and say, give it, give it up. And I remember that day in, the, in my room, sitting on my bed, nothing emotional, nothing dramatic, not like all the testimonies that I'd heard from my from church and from, from my, my relatives, my family, about other people who experienced uh, dramatic conversions. Nothing of that sort for me. I just sat on the edge of the bed and I just said, God, all I can say is my life is yours now. You do whatever you want with it. You do whatever you want with it. I am not of myself. I am not of my ethnicity. I am not of my family. I am not a co. Uh, I am not a, a person with these unique talents. I don't even think that I have any potential at all. I just give it all to you. I don't care what is in the seed. It's, right now, it's just not available to me. It is not available. It's, it's only of academic or, or, or significance. That's, and I just gave my life to him. And it was after that, that suddenly, and I, and I, and I use the word suddenly, I, I don't mean dramatically. I mean, it's just very quietly, almost very subtly. But there was a abrupt time point of time in which I realized that I was having certain different feelings. I remember a few mornings later waking up and asking God, will you speak to me? Will you speak to me? And I remember uh, taking my Bible and I looked at this thick Bible and I thought, Oh, where in this Bible will God speak to me? Where do I know where to read? And I asked God to, to, to lead me to it. And I did what, what many children do. I just opened the Bible and I put it on the, ground, on, the, on, the, on the table like that, not even looking at it. And I closed my eyes. And the moment I closed my eyes, something happened to me that had never happened to me before. Tears started coming to my eyes. Tears started coming to my eyes. And I had no idea. I was not even feeling sad. I was not even feeling happy. I was actually feeling quite flat. But I was just feeling strange that 
Tears were coming to my eyes. I had often talked about how people can cry about God. I said, I've never been able to do that. I don't have, the, I don't have any depth of feeling for, for God. Um, I did not have it until that time. And even in, in that time when my, my eyes were tearing, I did not have any feelings. All I knew was something of the Spirit was taking place that I didn't understand. I opened my eyes, and through my tears, I looked at, my eyes fell on a passage of Scripture that was something I had never read before. And it said, you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. And I cried even more because of the fact that for the first time, I felt in my heart that God was speaking directly to me. I was seeing the way John chapter 16 was speaking about. I was seeing in the sense that it was not just me seeing things externally in which I'm looking at the data and the data and I are are separate. What was happening was the God who who wrote those words was coming to me and putting that in my heart and telling me something. It's as if he was speaking to me. I felt spoken to. And after that, things began to open up slowly, not, not very quickly, not dramatically, but very slowly. I knew that God spoke to me. I knew that God was speaking to me. It was not just a piece of advice that the Bible gives that is sort of um, um, relevant. It was God speaking to me. And there was a way in which in that, I, I saw the scriptures speaking to me in very unique ways, very, very personal ways, per- ways that touched me. Since that time onwards, I've always had the experience in which God would speak to me and I would know he's speaking to me because there's a way in which the word would touch me like he's speaking to me. I would never again read the Bible and, and, and hear from him and, and, and feel as if the Bible is saying good things out there that are, are, are reasonable and rational and even wise, but I am not in connection with that. Yeah? And so I want to leave that with you because there's something that I, I, I want to embark with you on, uh, on a study. On, and this study is the study of, of Galatians. Um, and I'd like you to turn with me to the first chapter of Paul to the Galatians. And uh, I would propose to actually uh, begin a few weeks of um, meditation on this uh, epistle of Paul, it's, uh, only a few chapters. Yeah, there's this, it's just uh, five chapters in Galatians, and I think we will probably go uh, slowly over it. But um, the epistle of Paul to the Galatians addresses the things that we've been talking about, addresses the things we have been talking about. And I'd like you to, to read with me. I'm reading from New King James Version, the epistle of Paul to the Galatians. We'll read it from verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from man, or in the King James Version, it would be not of man, nor through man, or not by man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. We read that two weeks ago. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any gospel to you, then what you have done, you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade man or God, or do I seek to please man? For if I still please man, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I made known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond, um, beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned against to Damascus. He was there about three years. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterwards, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea which were in Christ, but they were hearing only, He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. That's a great chapter. It's full of action, full of passion. And we're asking the question, is there a reason why the church of Jesus Christ is so impotent? We're asking the question, is there something that we need to know in our foundational life with God in order for us to be able to live in these darkening days, these days of exile, these days in which um, uh, the pressure of principalities and powers of darkness are strong upon us. Galatians is a, is a, is a, is a, a letter that speaks to us in these days and as I, was, as I was saying, I've been asking that question, what is it that causes some Christians to have no fruit and some Christians to have a completely opposite um, um, experience? And so I'd like us to look at Galatians chapter 1 because I, I think chapter 1 gives us some serious, serious um, uh, fundamental um, uh, truth regarding the the covenant, the new covenant of God to us. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle from man, not from man, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, who gave himself from our, for our sin, uh, sorry, and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me. The first thing that I want to put, put forth to you is that when Paul describes himself, he describes himself in this way, I'm not from man, not of man in the King James Version, nor through man or by man in the King James Version as well. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father. The first thing that we understand is that Paul does not 
identify himself with anything else other than God. He says, I'm not from man. I'm not of man. I'm from God. What Paul is saying is this. I'm completely separated out of any creaturely, human, um, uh, natural identity. It's a radical statement, actually, for Paul to say that I'm not of man, I'm not from man, but from God. His apostleship is calling... He's saying, it's not something that is humanly constructed. I didn't get it from books. I didn't get it from the church. I didn't get it from the apostles. I didn't get it from any person outside. I got it from Christ. I was remade. In some ways, that death that he, that we were talking about in John chapter 16, John chapter 6, is something that Paul is speaking about when he says, I was not born from that. I was not born from that seed. I was not born from that, from that, from that life. I was not commissioned by that. I was commissioned from God. I'm not of you. In some ways, Paul is saying, I'm not of you. I'm not of you. I'm not of you. It's almost as if Paul is saying, no, don't, don't lump me in with anything of you or, or that you have constructed or anything that you have sponsored in me. In fact, the, the disciples, the apostles did not even sponsor me. I was sponsored by God. I was made by God. And that's the, that's the amazing thing about the, the new covenant in Christ. And that is that we are not made from earth. We are not, of course we are made in the natural, in our physicality, in our psychology. We are natural, that we are, we are citizens of this earth. But what Paul is saying is that in terms of his identity, in the, in the, in, the, in terms of who, how he's constructed, in terms of his, his being and his, his, uh, his calling, he says, I'm not a man. I'm not of this earth. I'm not created by human sponsorship. And I think that's one of the first things that uh, we begin to realize in our need to be remade is that we are made radically by Jesus. We are made radically by Jesus. Uh, Paul speaks about the fact that he was born from heaven. From heaven. In some of his other epistles. I sometimes feel that we as a church or as a, as a company of God's people are too identified with things of the world, too identified with um, blocks of thought. We're too identified with the things that are not of God or not God. We are too identified with good things. But what God is saying is this ontologically in terms of your very being. If you are not made wholly from ground up by me, you are compromised. You are watered down. In many ways, I feel that the, the starting point for us as Christians, in order for us to embark upon 2021, upon, upon these uh, dangerous times ahead of us, is that we need to know who we are and not from what. Our, where we come from, and there are, and not from who we get help from, we are too identified with the structures of human allegiances for us. And in order for us to be a people of God, God separates us unto Himself. And there's a death that must happen, a death to everything else except God. And it's, it's in this that Paul shows the, 
the, the inspiration, the, the, the thickness of his calling. And you can see this in chapter 1, the, the passion. It's not just passion as an emotion, but it's the, it's the thickness of his calling, the thickness and, the, and, the, and the, the utter conviction of his calling that is constructed from something else other than what he's read, other than what theology he comes from. He actually distances himself from everything else, not because he doesn't necessarily agree with them, but because of the fact that he says, in terms of my being, in terms of who I am, I am not made by those things. I'm not made by these, these things. And the church today needs to be, make sure that it does not so identify with particular blocks of people. In this age of division, and this age of, this, of, 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 of fragmentation right now, it is very easy for us to allow our Christianity to be somehow made by something else, by made by some particular uh, philosophy, some political philosophy, or made by a certain particular ethnicity, or particular allegiance, a particular ally, or a particular uh, sponsor, a particular friendship, or friend group. Right now, one, one thing bef- before we can ever be, even be, call ourselves Christians in the, in, the, in the practical sense is, has to do with the fact that we have to be set apart from everything else, everyone else. And it's in these things that we are called out people. We are a called out people. And so when Paul says, an apostle, not from man, nor through man, it can almost feel that he is brushing himself off from all these other things that would agree with him, that would have some kind of uh, uh, overlap in, in, in viewpoint with him. But he cuts himself off and he says, no, I'm not of you. Because you come from a, a different route. You may agree with me, you may be on my side on certain, on certain things, but you come from a different route. I am rooted in God. And we can shake hands. But I am not of you. And, uh, and, and in, in because of that, I feel that this is something that we need to have rooted in ourselves. The church has to be rooted in God. We as Christians, in order for us to be able to see Jesus, must die to every other allegiance that we have so that we do not allow ourselves to say, I am of, I'm of this, or I'm, I am Greek, or I'm Jew, or, I, or I'm slave, or I'm free. These things cannot be defining things upon us. We can shake hands, but we, we cannot allow ourselves to get our identity from, from this. Amen? This is very important. And because of this, we are neither Republican nor Democrat. We are neither uh, uh, for anything. I remember, I remember um, um, during uh, the time of Justinian, during the Byzantine times, uh, uh, many of you have heard of the Nico riots. And, and during that time, Constantinople was divided into two parties, the Green Party and Blue Party. And, and uh, all, both of them considered themselves Christians. And in this... In this um, uh, we, as years began to develop, people began to identify their Christianity with green or identify their, their, part, their, their Christianity with blue. Blue tended to be, I think, monophysites. And, but, but what happened is that they began to be absorbed into the, the philosophy, the thinking, the, the, the structure, the rootage of these other um, um, blocks of reality. Um, and what God was... was was doing is that he's actually, he was actually destroying that, even in history. And uh, one, one thing I want to say is this. When Paul talks about being of God and not from man, he's speaking about something that's extremely radical. We are set aside to him. Unless we are that, 
we will find that our Christianity is watered down. And so I want to uh, put it to you that in this, God is the one who originated us, makes us, and make us, makes us of His stock. We have to separate ourselves from our past, our past history, because we are not made by those, that history. When we come to Jesus, that goes into the ground and dies. You become a Christian only when you have died to your past. The past cannot be fixed. It cannot be changed, just as my past could not be changed. I brought before God all the, the failures, the, the broken places of who I, who I had, had developed, the, the past ident- the, the identity that I had, had developed up to that time. And I realized with such relief that I'm not that. I'm not that anymore. I got some relief from some of those things, but I realized that I could not depend upon that. I have to die to it. And when Jesus died on the cross, I understand that when he died on the cross, he took upon himself all my, uh, all my failures, my successes, my past, everything that I identified with, everything that I was connected to, and he laid it upon himself on the cross. When he died on the cross, I died with him. Now that, 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 that death is radical, it is total. And unless we die with him, we cannot become Christians in the full sense of the word. We will always be living our life in the flesh, trying to do Christian things. The Christian life cannot be lived by the flesh. It cannot be lived by ourselves. Everything that is in our past doesn't amount to a Christian life. Everything that we have that's good, bad or indifferent cannot be, can, it's not enough to live the Christian life. And many Christians try to live the Christian life uh, out of that, the, the, their flesh, out of the flesh and out of their past. And they can't. The second thing is that he, Paul was separated from himself. He's separated not only from his past, but he's also separated from himself. And that's why I'm skeptical about people who uh, just off the surface said, I have these dreams, or I have these callings, or I have these gifts, and I have these things, and that's my identity. I find that many of them, they never actually come into that. Why? Because those things are not purified yet. They have to be brought to the, to, to the cross. And it's only the divide of the cross that separates our own subjectivities, our own ideas about who we are from what God has. And sometimes we experience that. If you are a Christian, I'm sure you have experienced a time in which you have questioned everything that you thought you were born to do. I want to put it to you that Christ, it's only after the cross operates in our lives and separates us from every good thing that we knew about, that we, we had as an inkling in our hearts. Every good thing that we intuitionally or intuitively um, believe was good about ourselves that we could, we could do. It's only when the cross comes upon it and causes it to come to a point of death that Christ can cause a resurrected life the way it was supposed to be to happen. That's why the seed must, must fall on the ground and die, including all that potential, all that, all that destiny stuff, all those prophecies and all those, all those inklings that we have about our special contribution to the world. All that has to die. I've seen many, many Christians who bring upon the, 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 their Christian life all those intuitions 
It ain't, they may or may not be right. They may or may not be accurate. But the point is this. It's only the cross that once the cross operates upon this and brings that to silence and brings that to death, we come to a point where they, we are zero before the Lord. And then the Lord picks it up. And the Lord puts it up. And you'll be surprised how many of the things that uh, we intuitively had, even when we were non-Christians, get applied. But they cannot be unless the death comes. So there are ways in which even ourselves, our intuition, our own subjective senses, uh, have to go through the cross. And when Galatians is speaking about this apostleship of Paul, that is not of man, not of all, all this, not, him, not even of himself, not from man, or from, not, not of man, not by man, um, he's speaking about this, not even of himself. And as we've said, when, we, when Paul speaks about the fact that he is not of man, or not from man, not by man, he's also saying that he's not, a, not only of, not of the past, not of himself, but he's also not of other people or, or any other things in the world. I feel that uh, today, as, a, as we come together as a church, um, and we live in these times, there's a way in which God wants to bring to silence. He's going to bring to silence all the labels that we put upon ourselves. Karl Barth refused to let anybody call him, them, themselves Barthian. There's a way in which God refuses to, for us to be identified radically with any, anything outside of himself. It is in this Paul was contra mundum. Contra the world. Paul was in this place where he says, I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified with all his knowledge and all that. He put no stock on those things. And so, in this first verse, we see how God brings to silence our bentness towards people towards public, towards pleasing them, towards hating them. And then yet, at the same time, we find that the cling of the world is there in our spirits and our minds. And this is where, as we look at the next verse, it's uh, very powerful. Grace to you and peace from God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God, the Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Verse 4 says, he might deliver us from this present evil age. There is something that is needed, not only that we just decide volitionally to separate ourselves from the world and from the world's structures, or separate ourselves from our past, separate ourselves from our own self, um, from the flesh, but he, he's, it says that he has delivered us he gave himself that he would deliver us from this present evil age. The word age is, is, is a good translation. The King James uses the present evil world. What Paul is speaking about, the fact that God in Christ gave himself so much so that all the powers that cling, all the powers that hook themselves onto us were defeated in, their life, in our lives. Powers that cause us to cling to the things of the world, the things of uh, our, this present age. There's a way in which we sometimes not realize that the age has a, has a hold upon us, it has a bondage to us. We think about uh, technology, and we think about uh, social media, and we think of, the, of that. Um, 
what Paul is saying is that there is something about the world that is not just about hardwired stuff. It's not just about um, uh, material things. That beneath all this, there's a spiritual world. There's a spiritual world that is somehow enclosed upon the physical things of the world so that our bodies are not just natural, they are spiritual as well. That's why you cannot say that the body is neutral or you can do whatever you like with nature. You, you, it's not neutral. It is sacred. There is a spirit, there's a spiritual uh, content about it. That's why not all sexuality is something that is just natural. No, there are spiritual con- uh, com- components to, to this. And so what I want to say is this, that what Paul is, Paul is saying is this, that Christ has set us free from the cling that it has, the thing that makes us dependent upon these things, that makes us afraid to displease people, that makes us dis- afraid to unhook ourselves from these things. But there's something happened, see, on the cross. When Christ died on the cross, he confronted every principality of this age and all the ages to come. He came upon them, and those things that keep us dependent, keep us um, um, slavishly uh, under their, their, their command, have now been broken because he destroyed all principalities on the cross. And the last enemy was death. We find this in Romans chapter 8. He destroyed all, all principalities and powers. So much so, the hold that some of these things have upon us, the hold that people in this world can sometimes have upon you, the threat, to, the, the threat that comes when you uh, displease them has been broken. The cling, there's, there's, this, there's, this, there's this, um, this power of holding you, the claw that holds you to certain unhealthy practices, certain addictions, certain particular things, certain entertainment, certain, certain images, pornography, sins, certain uh, obsessive, compulsive things that, 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 that hold us, that are part of the spirit of this age. The age is in this, as, as in not just, a, not just a physical thing, but a spiritual thing. They've been broken. And what Paul says, when, when they've been broken, you are set free. That's why you can be completely free from aspects of this life that are holding you. I found that, uh, <laughs> just a small example, I found myself um, totally, um, uh, well, not totally, but um, uh, inordinately um, bound to social media. And uh, one of the best things that I've done is to be able to uh, cancel my Facebook account. I'm not, I'm not telling you that you should, but I, there's a way in which I found myself with respect to Facebook, uh, somehow beholden to it. I don't know whether any of you experienced that. I'm sure many of you don't. But uh, it's when I, and I realized that I was spending so much time on Facebook because of my obligation to perhaps relationships, obligation to be a certain way, to be able to respond, to be able to do things. I found myself unable to get out of it. I had invested so much in Facebook that I could not get myself extricated from it. But I realized there was more than that, more than the inconvenience of it. There was something of a spiritual component that made me feel that if I canceled Facebook, now I'm not, please, I I want to repeat that, I'm not telling everybody to to, to cancel Facebook. I felt I wanted to. uh, I found myself drawn to it and I can't completely describe 
this. All I can say is that's something I needed to be delivered from of the spirit of this age. And I think that deliverance was a deliverance from obligation, a certain fear. Now, maybe I, maybe it would not be at that same level, but something, a certain anxiety about letting people down for my not being on there for some reason. It's crazy, isn't it? It's, it's silly. But that's how sometimes demonic powers work, through, my own, through our own silliness. But uh, it was in this place that I, I found myself bringing it before the, before the Lord, and I felt inside, inside me, the more and more I prayed, the more and more I felt, I found, my, I found within myself a certain uh, indignation, a certain power, a certain fire, to just get rid of it, at least for myself. And, uh, and I did. And you know what? It's been several months, and I have not missed it at all. Now, again, I'm not advising everybody to do that, but I want to say that there is sometimes these things, perhaps it's not Facebook, maybe it's not uh, Instagram, it's may, maybe not, it's not social media, but there is something social that obligates us in a demonic way that Christ has set us free from and he has rescued us from. Amen. Verse 10. For do I not persuade man? Do I now persuade man or God? Or do I seek to please man? For if I would please God, please man, I would not be at one servant of, of Christ. But I have known to you that the gospel, make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, but I never, neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 15, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me, through His grace, to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go to Jerusalem to, to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to, to, to Damascus. So he's talking about the gospel, right? Verse 11, he's saying, the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. I did not receive it from man, okay? Um, and then verse 15, it says, But it pleased God, who, when He pleased God to separate me from my mother's womb and call me through His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him before the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh. What Paul is saying is this, there is a gospel that had been compromised with the Galatians. And the gospel that Paul was speaking about had to do with the fact that Christ in us separated us from our mother's womb. There you go there. again, that separation from even things that are natural, that identity from blood even, from blood, from anything that is nat our natural identity. We've been separated from that right now so that we are free to be the, of the nationality of God, of the race of God. So much so that there's neither Jew nor, nor, nor Greek. So we are of God right now. And we need to be immersed in it. We need to be thickly immersed. A lot more immersed in that than we are, than we are right now. The church of Jesus Christ needs to be immersed in the fact that we are separated unto Him. Separated unto God. So much so that we get nothing of our identity from, that, from the natural world. But he said this. There's a gospel that has been compromised by the Galatians. And that gospel has to do with the fact that Christ reveals Himself not to us, but in us. Christ revealed himself in us. He separated me from my mother's womb. So he separates us, as we've been talking about, and then he wants to reveal himself in us. Now, here's the thing that I, I, I feel is, 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 is an error that the church today has largely gone into. We do not realize that the life of Christ 
is revealed in us. It is built up in us. It is a life of another one, not our own self. It's not our own life that's built up. See, what happens is that a lot of times when we, we listen to the gospel or we listen to preaching, we try to apply it in our own flesh. We apply it in the old person, the person that is of, of, of the flesh. So we try in our flesh to apply Christian life. We have tried to apply the Bible and to do the things of the Bible in the flesh. And as a result of that, whenever we try to apply the Bible in flesh, we try to pray for the sick, we try to do these things, we try to read the Bible, we try to hear from God, we try to be like Christ, we try to do this. We immediately try to do that in the flesh, in ourselves. But the Bible says the, pl- the flesh profits nothing. Uh, John chapter 6, 30, 33. The flesh actually profits nothing. I would put it to you that many Christians are unprofitable in their spiritual life because they are trying in their flesh, in themselves, to apply the Word of God or to live the Christian life. And as a result of that, the flesh can't hear from God. The flesh doesn't have the grace of God. But when Paul says, when he, when he was separated from his mother's womb, that means when he separated from the element, these, these elements, Christ was revealed inside. May I suggest to you that the Christian life cannot be lived by us in and of itself. What Christ does is that when we die to ourselves, a new one comes in. A new life comes in. And it is, this life is not the life that we have. It's not the life of our flesh. It's not the life of our past. Not the life of ourself. Not the life that has been constructed by our allegiances. It is the life of Christ. When Christ comes into our life, a new being comes in. A new, a new, a new life. A life. A new life form, can I, can I say that? Comes in, into us. And it is that life form that can live the Christian life. Not you. You cannot live the Christian life. The reason why there's so little power is because the church, for all its knowledge, for all its, 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 its knowing of things, and all its seminaries and all its reading and all its universities and all that, is only feeding the flesh. The church, in of ourselves, cannot live the Christian life. The Christian life is not lived by us. It is lived by another who is Christ. When Christ comes into our life, when you die with Him on the cross, He, is, he, goes into the, he went into the grave when, when, when He carried yourself and myself upon Himself. When He died, you died with Him. When He rose from the dead, you remained in the grave. So much so that you don't live by the flesh. You are crucified with Christ. And unless you are crucified with Christ, the flesh trying to live the Christian life in the flesh by our own mind, by our own goodness, our own um, 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 uh, good intentions, profits nothing. The radical thing about the Christian life is this. It is not lived by you. It is not lived by our flesh. It is not lived by us. We don't immediately hear the Word of God and the Word of God challenges us to great things and we take up that challenge and we try in our flesh to to do that. No, that cannot happen. Because the flesh cannot live the Christian life. It does not have the power to do it. It cannot even see God. The flesh has to fall into the ground and be discarded. It has to be given up. It, has not be, it, it cannot be, be, be given its, its, its dominance of our lives. And the great thing about it is this. There is another one who is your life. Therefore, Galatians, uh, Paul says in the, in the next chapter, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. What do you mean, if I'm crucified, how can I live? 
Nevertheless, I live. But not I. But not I. But Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I do not live directly by the flesh, but by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that is how the Christian life is lived. My suspicion is this, that the Church of Jesus Christ is generally living the Christian life in the flesh, without a revelation that when you become a Christian, you actually die. And you don't live by your own, your, your own particular preferences. You don't live by the preserve, preservation of your own life. But you live because there is one who is in you. And you live in allegiance and in surrender to him. When Christ comes upon us, he becomes our life. And what Paul is saying is this. There came a time when he who separated me from all these connections chose me to reveal his son in me. So much so that in my ministry, my ministry is not done by myself and my good intentions, my passions, my so-called dreams, but by Christ, who it says, called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that his son is revealed in me. In me, it is his son that's revealed. So that what people see is Jesus and not myself. How? Well, when I live no longer according to what my flesh wants, but I am aware of the fact that Christ in me is another will, is another one. I live with respect, not to myself, not to other people, not to my past, but to him. And so I allow him to set the agenda When I read the Bible, I don't read the Bible for what it will do for me. I read the Bible as a servant and as a a child and say, what do you want? Because you are living in me. And so I want to encourage encourage all of us to begin to realize the fact of the new covenant. And that is that when Christ, who is my life, set me free from sin, he did not set me free from sin so that I can live my life in a more cleansed, way the way I was before. He didn't come to fix my old life. He didn't come to heal my old life. He doesn't heal the old life. He gives us a new life. He comes and he puts his new life in me. And if you are not a Christian, if you've been a Christian for all these years and have not experienced the victory of Christ upon your life, I'd like to invite you to come and pray and to give your life Give the life of the flesh back to God. Let's pray. Lord, we welcome you. We welcome you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to worry about the fact that we have been unfruitful or lacking in the reality of Christ in our life and be consigned to a life that's always going to be like that. We thank you that you came for us and you did what our flesh could not do for ourselves, for you. You crucified it and you broke its power over our lives. 
so that we don't have to live by any of that, but only by you. Lord, we welcome the fact that you are our life now. We have no life outside of you. We have no identity outside of you. You are our life. And so we surrender our own identity to you. We surrender all we've been. We surrender even the allegiances, the obligations, the fears of displeasing to you, Lord. We fear, we, 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 um, we surrender everything in us that wants to preserve the seed of ourselves and not let it break out in Jesus' name. We receive from you this new life. We thank you, Lord, that we do not need to live our life by the power of our own flesh anymore, by ourselves. But there is this new life that is spiritual, that's not emotional in us right now. And we thank you for coming to save us from this evil age and set us free to live for you. We thank you, Lord, for Christ in us, the hope of glory. We surrender ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.